I guess uh, the last two chapters, probably some of the more controversial scripture in the whole Bible, and and this, uh, what we're going to look at today, no different. Controversial, different interpretations, thoughts and opinions. But you know, there's there's only there's only one interpretation. I, I believe with all of my heart, the Lord, as He wrote this book, He had an intention for me. When I read that, this is the message that I should get out of it. Peter himself said that the Word of God's not of any private interpretation. Man today believes that he can read this verse and and it means this to me, and it means this for Anthony, and it may mean this for somebody else, and that's all right. That's all right. Just however you want to believe it and however you want to think about it, that, that'll work. But you know, if we, if we took the law of just of North Carolina and you go before the judge as a, a lawbreaker and you say, well, I've read that law and I believe this is how it, how it interprets for me, uh, that's not going to work because the law is the law. Well, I, I believe the Word of God is the Word of God. And so uh, let's look now, maybe about verse 25. So he's been, we've been looking at the Jew and how that Christ came, Christ gave His life, resurrected from the dead, and how that the majority of Israel, the Old Testament people of God, had rejected that sacrifice. Certainly that's the case. That's continued to be the case throughout history. But he calls us to remembrance that even in the Old Testament, as well as the New, there's, there's always been a small remnant of the whole number that's been saved. And that was by, as he says in uh, chapter 11, verse number 7, the election that hath obtained it. As well as in verse number 5, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. So the whole nation then was going away from God and God has through history kept a number from destruction as He's doing today. And so uh, that takes away the ability. You know, especially in the days that this was written, they could be said, well, the Lord Jesus, even His own people didn't believe in Him. You know, you begin to move up the ranks in the Roman government. You start talking to these men that were kings and that were governors, that were judges, and even to Caesar is where Paul's going to wind up before. And they say, well, well, why didn't his own people believe in him? Well, this, this is the explanation as to why God didn't fail them. Jesus, it's not that Jesus wasn't mighty enough to convince them. This was all done by design and by the plan of Almighty God. And so we come down now to verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, that ye should be wise, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. Now I'm going to stop right there. The next part's a quote. We'll deal with that after we look at these two verses. So you think now, for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant. That is not to know through lack of information. And you know, ignorance, ignorance can be a dangerous, dangerous thing. Children that are small, we put, we put covers on our outlets because they don't know how dangerous that is. 
And that ignorance that they have, I know better than to put my finger in there. But the ignorance that they have could destroy their life in a moment. They don't know how dangerous the road is. They run that way wildly, with no thought, ignorant of the danger that's there. But you and I know how quickly that that could be tragic. So because we're not ignorant, we hold on to them. We scream at them when they get away from us. We wear them out when they won't obey us because we know the danger that's there and we would like them to know that they wouldn't be destroyed. So Paul says here, I wouldn't want you to be ignorant. And God help that our desire, we we shouldn't desire to be ignorant of anything in the Word of God. If the Word of God is life and death, we ought to desire to know exactly what the Word of God says, exactly what the Word of God means, because being ignorant of it could lead us to destruction. In the same way that the child's ignorance of the plug-in could electrocute it to death, ignorance of the Word of God will lead me to think and believe things are safe when in fact they're deadly. He's not sticking his finger in there or sticking a fork in there because he thinks it's safe and it's not going to hurt anything. Is that not right? He, He thinks that that's just a toy to play with. That there's no danger there. Well, people that are ignorant of the Word of God, they, they don't know what the Word of God says. That leads them to assume things that are, well, that's not dangerous. Sin is not going to hurt you. And we don't need, I mean, you really don't need to be saved. You don't need to have a changed life by the grace and the Spirit of God. You, you really don't have to be a part of the church. Boy, that's a big one, ain't it? There's all manner of thoughts and thinking today that's come from the mind and the heart of man. And the reason that is is because they they don't know what the Word of God says. But God, and Paul here says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. So that word mystery, it's a secret. It's that that is unknown because of imposed silence. So that word implies this that the rejection of the Jews and the salvation of the Gentiles was not a plan B. Now people say that today. There's people that hold that doctrine and that thinking that, well, the Jews rejected Jesus, so God is plan B then turned to the Gentiles. It wasn't, that wasn't what God intended to do, but because man rejected, God had to revert to plan B. But... This is not something that was mysterious because God didn't intend to do it. But it's that that God kept secret, and He did keep secret. Even though as we look back through the Old Testament, there's many glimpses. Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel, they all saw the nations of the world, the Gentile nations, coming to the feet of God at Zion through this Redeemer. But as a whole, this was a great mystery that was kept secret. That God was going to show the same love and the same grace and bring the same redemption and salvation to the wicked and to the Gentile that He is going to bring to the Jew and to the sons of Abraham. But God through the gospel and through Jesus Christ 
He's uncovering this mystery. What was once kept secret, what was once covered up, God is now proclaiming through the gospel that Jew and Gentile can be brought in to the kingdom of God. Lest you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. So this is a phrase that we see in Proverbs quite a bit. To be wise in our own eyes. To be wise in our own conceits. And here's, here's what we come to. You, you boil all that down, I believe. And we become wiser than the Word of God. That what I know and what I think and what I believe overcomes and is really it's over the Word of God. The Word of God's secondary to what I think. And when something in the Bible would contradict my belief, then I, I overrule what the Bible... I don't care what the Bible says. That's being wise in our own conceits. We're, as the same analogy of the child with the danger, it's a child that's too big for his britches. Ain't it something that a six, a seven, and an eight-year-old youngin, they know and will tell you that they know what they need more than you do. Is that true? You know what they are? They're wise in their own eyes. They think they know. They think they know what's good and what's fitting and what's right for their lives. They think they know what's best for them. But in truth, what, what do they know? If you let them go, what are they going to choose? They're going to choose their own destruction. They're going to do things that's going to be detrimental to them. They need somebody that really knows to overrule the places that they think that they know. Well, adults, it's no different. While maybe in worldly decisions, we're wiser than they are, when it comes to spiritual things and the salvation that God's wrought through Jesus, man thinks he knows how he's going to get to heaven. Our, our country as a whole, everybody thinks they know the way that they individually are going to go to heaven. But they're ignorant of what the Word of God says. Not because, not because they've not had opportunity, but a lot of times it's because I'd rather have darkness than light. I'd rather sit in the dark and believe that my beliefs are good rather than sit under the Word of God and have the light of understanding be shed abroad and reveal to me the truth. But God's in the business of revealing the truth that I wouldn't be wise in my own conceits. So now, in context with this, He's talking to Gentiles that are saved, that are in the church of the living God. And don't look at these Jews that have rejected the Word of God and think somehow that, that you yourself is wiser than they are. Don't think that you have a, a better understanding or a greater knowledge or that you're more moral or upright or more religious than they are because you've come to God in Jesus Christ and they've rejected Jesus. See, that's the nature of man. You'll, you'll hear that a lot of times. While maybe not outwardly spoken, you hear that implied in what people say. That we are somehow wiser than everybody else because we've come to God in Jesus. Well, don't be ignorant of this. 
Don't be ignorant of this mystery that we come to God in Jesus because God brought us to God in Jesus. And if God done the work, and if it's God, as He says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I believe, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? What we have was given by the gratuity that's undeserved, unwarranted, by the gratuity and the goodness and the compassion of God. And it was given. It, it's not that we wrought it out. It's not that it was payment for what I had done. It's not that it was because I reached a level of intelligence and received it. But God gave that to me undeserving. Now if, if God gave it, and it was a gift, and it was unwarranted, and I'd done nothing to earn it or deserve it, then how could I glory in the fact that I've got it? How can I say, look what I've got here. Look at, my, look at what I've done. Don't be wise in your own conceits. If Christ was a gift and salvation was by grace, then know that you didn't work that out. That was given to you. And so... That blindness, in part, is happened to Israel. So blindness, stupidity or callousness is the meaning of that word. And you can see it in all of it. Here they are. Here's the Son of God that's walked among them. And here's the twelve apostles that are preaching the gospel by the Spirit. And they're callous to that. They're blind to that. They're unable to see, first of all, that they are sinners in need of salvation because they are in their eyes better than everybody else. And they are unable to recognize that Jesus is the Savior because they're righteous. They don't need a Savior from sin. They need a Savior from the Roman government. They need a Savior from their life's troubles. They need a Savior from the affliction or the sickness or the trouble that they're in at that moment. Ain't that the way man is? Man wants Jesus, but not because he's a sinner and needs to be saved. Many be the times man wants Jesus because his life's in trouble, because he's in the hospital, because his family's in the hospital. Well, that's the same way the Jews were in this day. They wanted help from their worldly troubles, but they didn't need help because of their sin. Well, Jesus came for one purpose, that He might give His life as a sacrifice and as a payment for the sins of man that sinners might be saved. And so to come to God for any other cause, to come to Christ for any other cause than for salvation, we've missed the point. And a lot of times it's through ignorance. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That's what he says in Hosea and in Isaiah. And so I don't know that I'm in danger. I don't know that I'm in sin. I don't know that the judgment of God is going to fall upon me. 
I don't know that, that if I die, I'm going to stand before a, a holy God in judgment. And because I don't know these things, I go stick my finger in the light socket. I go headlong into destruction. I go headlong into death. Well, the Word of God is there that I wouldn't be ignorant of these things, but that I might be warned beforehand. This blindness has happened to Israel. Now that word happened, that sounds like it's by chance and it's flippant and, you know, it's flipping a coin. Lucky. But if you look up that word, it means to cause to be, to generate. That Greek word there is where we get our word generate from. And so this was brought to be as God generated man in the beginning. So God has generated this blindness in the heart of man. And there was a purpose to this. Remember in in the earlier part of this chapter that Israel had rejected to the purpose that God would reach out to the Gentiles through the gospel and that all would be gathered into one in Jesus, in one body. And so blindness is in part happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved. So there's three, I'm going to say that there's three main interpretations for these verses right here. The first one, I believe we can cancel out entirely as unbiblical. The first one is that it means literally what it says there that all of Israel and that being all of the seed of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is going to be saved. I have heard people that believe that. I have heard this said, well, he's a Jew, but he's saved just like the rest of us. Not because he's put his faith in Christ, but just because he's a child of Abraham. Now, if that's the case, if, if all of the children of Abraham are saved just because they're children of Abraham, then we've got some conflicts. That would mean that Korah and all of the princes that rebelled against the law of God in the book of Numbers, that God opened the earth and swallowed them up in judgment. Well, that'd mean that they were saved. It would mean that the 600,000 men in the wilderness that died, as the Bible says in Hebrews, they died in unbelief. That would mean that they were saved. It would mean that Judas Iscariot, the son of perdition, the devil from the beginning, mean that he was saved. But you know, I, I think the, the biggest example we've got in the book of Luke, we've got the rich man and Lazarus. And that rich man lifts his eyes in hell. Now that wasn't a saved man. Could we all agree that the rich man in, in that account in Luke was not a saved man? He lifted his eyes in torments, in flames, in hell. And he looked to Abraham afar off and he said, Father, Abraham. And Abraham said, Son. So I think that that, that implies, if not explicitly states, that there was a child of Abraham that died and was not saved. So it cannot mean then 
these words, all Israel shall be saved, it cannot mean that all of the natural lineage of Abraham is going to be saved. And we've got, we've seen it already in Romans. Romans chapter 2, verse 28. He is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Again, in Romans chapter number 9. It's been some time since we've looked at both of these verses. Romans 9 verse 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. So the New Testament church then, as God's looking, you see there's two Israels there. They're not all Israel that are of Israel. The Old Testament Israel was the natural lineage that came from Jacob, Israel. But not all that are born to Israel, to Jacob, are of the true spiritual Israel. And not all of the Jews of the flesh are real Jews. But the real Jew is that one that's had the inward circumcision in the heart by the Spirit of God. So the distinction is made there. It's not the seed of Abraham that's saved. It's the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that are born into the kingdom through Him that's saved. So, another interpretation. These two, these two are tough. So the, the first is that at the end of the age as we're drawing near to judgment, God is going to turn back to the Jews. And all of the Jews that are alive and on the earth at that time, God's going to save them. Now, could God do that? Absolutely. I believe God could do that. And if you read it, and let's just read it together with that thought in mind then, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, and so all Israel shall be saved. So it does sound that way. It sounds like God has set them aside for a, a span of time, and that when God's finished bringing in the Gentiles that He's going to bring in, then God is going to turn from them He's going to go back to Israel and save all of them that's on the earth. That's, it's, it's big and premillennial. They, they believe that's going to be the millennial reign. But not just premillennials believe that. And I can say it certainly does. It reads that way and, and would imply that. And I could see the argument for that thought. But I, I'm no authority. That's why I present you both of them. But this would be the way that I see this Scripture and what God is saying in this. That God has caused Israel to reject the Gospel that the Word of God could then reach to the Gentiles as we have clearly written in the book of Acts. God blinded Israel 
God sent Peter down to Cornelius' house and there the Gentiles first heard the gospel and first were saved. Now that was a... If you remember in the book of Acts, what a, what a discussion, debate that that brought about that how can, how can Gentiles be saved? And Peter come back and said, Men... If, if we're going to argue with it, then you're going to have to take it up with God. They received the Holy Ghost just like we did. But you know, in the flesh, and really in tradition, that's what it was. It was tradition. If they were going to follow the Holy Ghost, then God saved them just like He did the Jew. But tradition, and it always is the case, tradition is against the work of and the Word of God. And so they're here at a point where that their tradition and what they thought and how they were raised up is clashing with the work that God's doing. And we're going to have to come to an understanding, am I either right or is God right? Is our tradition right that these Gentiles, they've got no place in God's family? That's their tradition. And Peter says this, that may be our tradition, but the Holy Ghost was poured abroad upon them. So what do you believe? You believe your tradition or the Holy Ghost of God? Do you believe what you think and how you feel and what you believe? Or do we believe the witness of God by the Spirit? And when, when that's presented, those men didn't argue anymore. But they rejoiced that God had poured out the Spirit on the Gentiles. And so God had done this work. The Gospel began to go out through the Gentiles much more through Paul the Apostle as His duty was to go out into the world, preach the Gospel to the Gentiles until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So we saw this word, if you remember a month ago or so, we saw this word in verse number 12 of chapter 11 in Romans. If the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. So what is he saying when he says the fullness of the Gentiles? I believe we could all agree with this. He's not saying that every Gentile everywhere is going to be saved. That's not what he means. And in verse number 12, he's not saying there that the fullness of the Jews are being saved. It's the same Greek word as it is in English as well. So let's look at a place or two where this word is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26, For the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. So what's he saying? Well, the earth belongs to the Lord. It's His creation, and He is God over the earth, and the fullness. Everything in it. It's not just that He owns the property, and somebody else owns the trailer that's on it, but God owns the property, and God owns everything on it. So here, fullness means 
what is filled. He owns the earth and what the earth is filled with. Another place in Galatians chapter number 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. So the fullness of time, this is all the same Greek word. So here you've got God who says at this time and this day, I'm going to send my Son to be born on the earth. And when the fullness of that time came, when that time, that appointed time was filled, and the time came for that to happen, God brought forth the Son. One more place in Mark chapter number 2. I know this is a lot of turning, but I think the Bible is the best commentary for the Bible. I believe the Bible will explain itself better than anybody else can explain it. So verse number 21, No man also soweth a piece of a new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. Filled it up. That phrase is translated from this same word that we see as fullness in Romans. So we've got a filling up then. Just as God appointed a time for Jesus to be born, and as the ages went by, that time was eventually fulfilled. Maybe that's hard to see. If I've got a doctor's appointment next Friday, that appointment's not right now. I've got time between now and then. And as the days go by, that time is being filled until that appointment. And when that time comes, my appointed day and hour and minute comes, that time is fulfilled. It's reached fullness. It is time for my appointment. And so here, back in Romans now, and in Mark, let's look at that. So you've got the hole in the garment, very well-known parable. It's been preached here. You've got the hole in the garment and you've got a piece that you're going to sew into that hole and that fills it up. That patch fills up the hole that's in the garment. So I believe that's what we've got here in Romans 11 until the Gentiles are filled up. So what are they being filled up? What is filling the Gentiles? The Holy Spirit of God that the Gentiles could receive the promise of the Spirit by faith and be brought in to the kingdom of God by His grace. Now when were the Gentiles filled up? Well, they were filled up when Cornelius was. Cornelius was a Gentile who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And as Paul went and preached the gospel and, and he established churches in Galatia and in Colossae and uh, in all of these places and countries and nations and cities across the earth, Paul's preaching the gospel and those that believe they're being filled up by the Spirit. And so the Gentiles now, they've received the kingdom, they've been brought in, 
And is the gospel not at that point also going to the Jew? The kingdom is now, by Israel's rejection, God reaching the Gentiles, the gospel drawing them to salvation, the kingdom is now opened to all men and by all Jew and Gentile. That encompasses all of the world, Jew and Gentile. And so until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, and so all Israel. So who then is all Israel that's going to be saved? Well, we saw already in Romans 2 and in Romans 9 that Israel previously in Romans has referred to not the seed of Abraham, but that spiritual seed that's in Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter number 3, verse number 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Again in chapter 6 of Galatians. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So who is then the promised seed? It's Jesus. Who are the children of Abraham? Those that are of faith. Those that are outside of faith, you remember now, in the book of John, Pharisees and Sadducees and all of these doctors and lawyers of the law of God questioning Jesus. And Jesus said, you're not children of Abraham. They were in the flesh. But if you were of your father Abraham, you'd do his deeds. Who did Jesus say they were of? You're of your father, the devil. So in the New Testament now, the New Testament Israel is not just Israel, the nation, and it's not just Gentiles either, but it's both that have been redeemed in Jesus Christ our Lord. And without fail, all of Israel... We're going to get ahead of ourselves if we're not real careful. In John chapter 10, one more place here. John chapter number 10, verse number 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also must I bring. And they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So Jesus, He's got a little flock there. He's got disciples with Him there. But there's other sheep as well. And this is how he says it. I have. And other sheep I have. Not that I'm going to get them. Not that I'm going to go to the market and buy me some more. But I have them. God has given me these sheep. And what does he say about these? Them also I must bring. 
and they shall hear my voice. Without fail, the sheep of the Lord Jesus will hear His voice and come to Him. They will. They will hear and come to the Word of God. And so all of Israel, and it can be liked or not, all Israel that God foreknew from the foundation of the world, from Abraham to us today and to the very end, the number that He foreknew and that He elected and that He predestined will without fail be brought into the kingdom and all of that Israel of God shall be saved. And so you've got either that or all of Israel at the end of the age. That's the two opinions. I believe, I believe the latter to be true. I believe overall we can see that talk through Romans and I believe that to be the message that he was given. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. So this is a quote from Isaiah chapter number 59. I'm going to turn there just for a second. And let's read that from where he quoted from. Isaiah 59, verse number 20. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. Who's the Redeemer coming to? To Zion. Zion being that spiritual name for the church, I believe, all through the Old Testament. And there's where Christ is found in His church, in those that He saved and redeemed. And who's going to be saved out of the church? Those that turn from their iniquity. Those that turn from their sin. Those that repent. I believe everyone that repents with godly sorrow and conviction and the call of God, He's going to redeem them. I, I don't argue with that in the least bit. Every man that comes to God through Jesus can be saved. But the only people that come to God through Jesus are those that the Father draws and is working on. And the only reason that those that come to God through Jesus come is because God is working on them and not because they're wise in their own conceits and somehow better than everybody else. It's a causing to be of God. God will make sure that His number's saved. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Verse 28, As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. So as touching the gospel, they're enemies, and that for your sakes. There's two Greek words there. The channel of an act 
towards you. So where their problem is now, they despise the gospel. They despise the Lord Jesus. They despise the message. They despise to hear that they're sinners and need saved. But you know where that anger and that hostility, you know where that's pointed to? To the church. Really now, their problem is with the Word that God written and with the Spirit that God sent and with the Savior that God sent and with the message to me that God gave. See, in this day, the Old Testament, it wasn't written in the day Paul wrote this. It had been more than 400 years since Scripture had been written in the Old Testament Bible. But you know, as they began to preach the Old Testament, they hated Paul. Wow, we like the Bible. But we hate Paul. We hate his preaching. Even though Paul didn't write any of it. Nobody here wrote any of this Scripture. Ain't that amazing? This was written 2,000 years ago. Nobody had any job in writing that. But you know who people hate? They hate the church. And I hate you. And I hate the deacons. And I hate the preacher. And I hate what they have to say. And the truth is now, it's the, the Word of God's the problem, but we don't want to hate the Word of God, so we'll just hate the people that say what we don't like. That's the way man thinks. That's the way man does. They're hostile towards you. But it's touching the election, they're beloved. Would you say that's the case for Paul the Apostle? I believe in Paul we can see every bit of this. There was Paul. Paul was born in the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was mother was pure-blooded uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Jew. His father was pure-blooded of the tribe of Benjamin, a Jew. They must have had quite a bit of money because they paid for him to go and sit under Gamal, who by history only took a few, a handful of students at a time. And so he went and he, he had his life dedicated to studying and learning the law and the commandments of God. He could speak in that old language of Hebrew. That was being lost at the time this was written. He was circumcised on the eighth day, just like the law said he ought to be circumcised. He was all of these things, but to the church. He was the church's sworn and bitter enemy. Was he not? He says in Galatians. Chapter number 1. Verse number 13. For ye have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, That word wasted, it means to ravage. So Paul of his own mouth said, I was an enemy of the church. I pursued after the church and I ravaged the church at every opportunity that I got. Now it was Jesus that he hated. It was the message that he hated. But that hate 
was carried out on the people that believed it and that proclaimed it. He was hostile. He was an enemy of the church. In Acts chapter 9, you see where Paul is saved there. And as the Lord appears to him. But in verse number 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, that's people in the church, men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. We're going to bring them down here. We're going to try them. We'll either kill them like we did Stephen, or we'll put them in prison and never let them out. Would you say that that was an enemy of the church? And as, as me and you, if we were in the church at that day, this man, he would be on a poster at the back. Watch out for this man. He's your enemy. He'll kill you. But you know what he was in the wisdom and in the love of God? He was beloved. As touching election, he was a chosen vessel. And Jesus Christ himself tells Ananias, go thy way, he's a chosen vessel. Ananias, don't worry about going down there and him turning on you and killing you. Don't worry that he's going to get angry and that he's going to have you thrown in prison. That's not going to happen. You're going to go down there and tell him what he's going to suffer, and he's going to submit to it because I've chosen him for that. And so as the Gentiles look at the Jews, and in this day that Romans was written, the Jews were the greatest persecutors of the church. Don't write them off and shut your door to them. They may be your enemies right now. But it's touching the election. See, if the grace of God and the work of God takes place in their heart, they'll no longer be your enemy. Paul was hostile and the enemy of the church for our sakes as we saw it. But as God saw it, that was His chosen vessel that He was going to use to write down the Word that we're looking at today. He was beloved. So how can you know or how can you judge who is beloved and who is not? See, the church has got no, no place in shutting people out or not letting people come. Whether they're enemies and hostile to the gospel or not. Because the truth is, God's grace begins to work. You know what that is? For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Without repentance, that comes from the word, it means irrevocable. They can't be undone. And they can't be gone back on. God, His mercy, His gift, His gratuity, God's goodness towards man, the salvation that He gives... It's irrevocable. It can't be lost. Eternal. Forever. In Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, no matter how hard that I would like to rebel or fight against the call of God, when God calls, 
Do you believe he sends an irrevocable call? A call that is so convincing. A call that reveals the truth so clearly to the heart of man that here I am, a sinner, with the the danger of judgment before me, and whereas 15 minutes or an hour before I might have been hostile towards the gospel, God by His grace in a moment, by revelation and by illumination, sends a call that I'm telling you that call changed my life before I ever came to the altar for salvation. I could have never went on with my life as it was before carrying the call that God had put upon my life. That's the way it is for all that are sinners that come to God in Jesus Christ. God, through His grace, sends us that call that without fail brings to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul can write down confidently, all of Israel shall be saved because God will accomplish the work that God intends to do. And He'll do that without fail, without error, without missing a spot. He will redeem all that are His. Let me say this before we stop. That doesn't cut out my responsibility. I still have to respond, but I respond because of God's call. I'm not responding to be called I come to the call that God sends. So, all hearts and minds clear.